This episode is brought to you by Cabot Creamery, proud to be a dairy farm family-owned cooperative for more than 100 years. Learn more at cabotcheese.coop. That's cabotcheese.coop. This week on Meat in 3, we're embracing the spooky spirit of Halloween, from zombies to witches. We're exploring the odd, the occult, and the taboo in the world of food. There are restaurants with no storefront shrunken down into hundreds of square feet versus thousands of square feet. No servers, no hosts, nobody taking your order. The rats in the sewers are now smelling, all of a sudden, fresh food molecules. And those rats were like, holy cow, follow that scent. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. Um, this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my co-guests. And our guest today is Elizabeth Ando, already joined us nine times on record <laughs> on episodes 18, 61, 83, 99, 108, 131, 156, 180, and 200, and shared her truly deep insight into traditional Japanese food culture. And Elizabeth is a good uh, food writer and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan for over 50 years. And she runs the culinary arts program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. And Elizabeth is also the author of six cookbooks, including the award-winning Washoku, Recipes from the Japanese Kitchen, and Kibo, Recipes and Stories from Japanese Japan's Tohoku, and Kansha, Celebrating Japan's Vegan and Vegetarian Traditions. So today's topic is Shoujin Yori. Um, plant-based foods are becoming increasingly popular globally for health and environmental awareness, and shoujin yori is the traditional Japanese vegan and vegetarian dishes that were developed around 800 years ago. And shoujin yori is made only with vegetables and grains without meat or seafood, which is based on the principle of Buddhism that, is it, that it is a sin to take life. So today we'll discuss what exactly shoujin yori is, the underlying philosophies of shoujin yori, where you can eat shoujin yori, how to cook them at home by yourself, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan Eats is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So if you haven't, please subscribe to Japan Eats, and um, uh, we appreciate your feedback, so please write away with you. And now... <coughs> Excuse me. Let's start a conversation with Elizabeth Anto. Hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be back again and glad that we're able to record at a distance. <laughs> Wait. So a tense episode. So, right. yeah, and you are in Japan, so it's 12 a.m. 
I'm so sorry. Right? Right. <laughs> Thank I'm, you for staying up so late. That's okay. I'm used to staying up. Thanks. Um, so, um, let's dive into today's topic, shoujin yori. And there's so much to talk about. So, first of all, shoujin yori means shoujin style cooking. So, what is shoujin? Um, it doesn't really mean vegetarian or vegan. The word Shoujin refers to a, a mindset, I think, earnest effort, uh, wanting to uh, apply diligence to things. Um, and when you're talking about um, food, you're talking about taking pleasure in doing things well and right and respectfully, mindfully. Um, it's not about making and taking shortcuts, um, but it's taking pleasure in expending that energy and effort um, to make things wonderful. And uh, indeed, because of Buddhist teachings that say that all life is, is precious, um, the food itself, the ingredients that are used, are all plant-based. Um, so nothing, um, no meat, no fish, no eggs, um, is is used. It's all plant forward. Mm, right. And uh, so what is the origin of shojin yori? Well, like so many um, bits of Japanese culture, origins can be found in China and uh, Buddhism, which originated in India actually and traveled the whole way, came into um, uh, Japan by that by that route. And uh, a priest by the name of uh, Dogen uh, went uh, to China uh, to study and brought back, um, 12th century Kamakura period, um, brought back the teachings uh, and the practice of um, Buddhism, particularly in relation to food and, and nourishment. Um, and that is thought to be the, the start uh, in Japan of what is referred to as shojin ryori. Mm. Right. And, so, yeah, so the, so Dogen um, started a uh, school of Buddhism, um, right. Sotoshu, and right. uh, it's based on Zen. Right. So Zen, of course, is, um, it's really emphasizes meditation. And uh, that was a th around 13th century and the Kamakura right. period where samurai started to be more powerful. And uh, what I heard is, because samurais are always facing death, right? Because it's right. like killing each other and Dangerous. fighting physically, yes. right? <laughs> and the swords and the stuff. So their uh, mindset was really helped by meditation. And that's why Zen became very popular. And, uh, and a part of it, uh, his... Uh, teaching includes the importance of food and cooking. So, right. yeah, there's an in interesting background. We don't think of samurai, but <laughs> it's connected to Zen and samurai and food. Well, I, I, I think that the, the notion that um, food is terribly important in creating both physical um, energy and also spiritual uh, energy and comfort um, and those all being linked together certainly began with um, uh, Dogen's uh, teaching. He was also the, f the first to actually write it all down, to codify it, and to create sort of um, a, a, a 
some guiding principles that people who wanted to practice and actually put those um, ideas into practice, um, things that would be helpful for them to to know. Um, very often, uh, oral tradition uh, spoken um, can get shifted and changed, once it gets written down, gets codified, it's a whole lot easier for people to actually do it themselves. Mm. Right. So the, the, he wrote this famous book, Tenzo Kyokun. So that's right. the, the format of the, what he written down and mm. everything. And uh, so Tenzo means uh, uh, the monk in charge of cooking at Zen temples. Right. So, so it's a... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the chief chef, if you will. Um, and the Tenzo is a very important position uh, in the hierarchy of um, uh, Buddhist temples and monasteries. Um, the, it, it really engaged in the responsibility of feeding and nourishing people physically as well as spiritually. Um, and so it, it was a very important position um, and, and a big responsibility for the um, community, um, the Buddhist community. The Tenzo is, is a very exalted position with a mm. lot of responsibility. Right. Yeah, we normally don't think of, you know, monks just try to starve and minimize their consumption of food and all those things. But I heard a Dogen went to China and uh, yeah. he met um, another priest and he learned from him how important it is to focus on good um, nourishing food yes. otherwise you can do um, good work to improve your spiritual state or you know hard right. work so right. yeah i totally agree <laughs> yeah but also to respect um the ingredients and the the diligence and effort of people who enabled them to be able to eat that food um to always be mindful of, of the, the work and the effort, um, nature as well as people's um, ingenuity <laughs> in being mm. able to, to bring that food um, into the kitchen, be able to nourish them. Um, so it's a very mindful and respectful attitude. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Sometimes it's translated as... Um, the the three attitudes um, of uh, or approaches um, to to making food, uh, but certainly they were um, they were there and made available to a larger community of people to actually practice them. Mm, right. Yeah. right, It's interesting that what you said reminds me of uh, Japanese school lunches and. Uh -huh. It's a very important big deal every day. There's no school cafeteria. People just kids buy from someone and, you know, whatever mm. they want to buy. It's like yeah. we had some couple episodes about Japanese school lunches because it's the place right. to learn how to respect ingredients, respect people who are in charge of serving you this food. Right. And you join, participate in that part of uh, food community. So, yeah, it's like interesting, this shoujin um mindset runs through the modern school right. lunches. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's been a very active part, I think, of um, the experience of, of food, making it and consuming it in Japan. Um, and it does have a deep, long history. Um, 
you know, at least 800 years and probably older. Um, but it was codified. It was written down. It was a, a set of guiding principles were made very obvious and available to people, certainly in that period of time. And it's um, interesting, a bit later, um, there were... Uh, Chinese priests who then came to Japan, probably one of the most famous was Ingen. And um, for those listeners who know that the word Ingen also means string bean, um, among other things that he brought um, to Japan from China were seeds for growing green beans, string beans. Um, and uh, they have been in part of the diet ever since. Um, he also brought with him a, a slightly different approach to the creation of a meal. And um, so there are many different styles of shojin jori in Japan. And um, many of them are associated with specific um, temples and uh, sects of, of Buddhism. Um, but uh, the one that uh, Ingen-san brought uh, is more Chinese-like, um, the ingredients are, are often more resembling Chinese and, and the way in which preparing the food um, and was known as fucharyori. And it's interesting that there is still, um, I, I, I imagine that even when the pandemic is gone and um, travel to Japan will be uh, enabled again, um, that uh, Mampukuji uh, outside of um in Uji, outside of Kyoto, um, will still welcome uh, visitors and an opportunity to eat a full meal presented um, fucharyori style, uh, mm. this, this Chinese sort of style of, of shojin. Uh, right. Yeah, it is like Dogen is from Kyoto. He went to China and came back, but Ingen right. is from China, so he's more right. deeply rooted in Chinese-style uh, shojin. Right, like, it's not so called shojin in China, but in Chinese right. style vegetarian cuisine. But it was very definitely a two-way street. Um, the 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 first uh, effort was Dogen who visited uh, China, but thereafter um, there was a great deal of exchange back and forth. Um, mm. Yeah, and there still is. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's the Chinese one by uh, Ingen's Fucharyori. And uh, I just want to get confused the uh, listeners, but the AHG style shojin jori, I think it's by, uh, you know, the Dogen, is right. more kind of mainstream uh, classic style shojin jori, I think. And, and certainly more Japanese-like, um, the, the way in which the food is, is prepared and the um, assortment of foods that are made. Um, I also think it's sort of important that people realize that the kind of uh, shojin ryori that you can eat at temple restaurants um, in Japan is definitely not the food that monks eat every day. <laughs> it's it, it, it's um, guest food, it's special occasion food, and it's far more um, complicated, complex, um, and uh, numerous. Uh, dishes being served, um, it, it's quite a feast, as a matter of fact, whereas um, typically uh, the food that was eaten on a daily basis was 
porridge. <laughs> and mm. uh, Takwan, Takwan is the name of another monk who has a great influence on on Japanese cooking. Uh, the Takwan uh, pickles that people eat are named after a monk by the name of Takwan, who was the first one to introduce that method of pickling um, dried daikon in uh, nuka. Uh, but um, the very humble everyday food of um, the monk's daily lifestyle is rather different than the um, shojin ryori that's available uh, on special occasions and to feed guests. Mm. Um, so right. it's, it's, and it, it really makes sense, right? Because, um, I mean, on a daily basis, they don't feast on anything, but um, no. cooking is also a big part of um, practice, Zen yes. Buddhism practice. So you right. don't um, cut corners to serve the greatest, most nourishing food. And um, I also heard in uh, Tenzo Kyokun, the book by uh, Dogen, right. the, the book teaches you have to take care of, you know, your cooking equipment, like, uh, you know, the Ichiro Suzuki took care of right. his bed. Right. So that, that respect and um, Actually, it's going to be revealed on how you plate the dishes in organized ways and uh, your kind of how you gracefully act, move, behave. Right. That kind of comes from the attitude. So it's far beyond just cooking. Uh, very much so. Um, it is an opportunity as well as an obligation. Um, it's interesting, I think... Uh, after years of living in Japan, I'm, I'm always um, impressed by the fact that um, obligation doesn't have to be distasteful or, or, or difficult. The sense of being able to provide something, a service, a nourishment um, to food is something that people take great pride in and also pleasure. Um, being being mindful and aware of other people and their needs and the needs of the community and being able to, to satisfy it is um, something that is uh, considered part and parcel of preparing food. Um, mm. It's not just about, um, I'm hungry, I, I need something to fill me up. Um, mm. it's, it's very much more than that. And Indeed, the um, the acolytes, the 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 new uh, comers to the um, uh, temple communities, uh, when they would first be assigned uh, to tasks, were often assigned the task of making um, a dish known as goma dofu, uh, a sesame pudding, and um, part of why they were assigned to it is because it requires diligent attention and a lot of physical effort to make it. Um, mm. Because and, you have to um, process from the seeds, right? So right. it's not like uh, the uh, the seeds, paste of seeds, but you have uh, to grate it first. Well, the, <laughs> right. The, the, you have to toast it first. You have to grind, grind it and grind it to a paste. And um, 
Often when I'm demonstrating the use of a, a traditional sudibachi, the, the mortar and pestle um, that's used to do this, um, we'll say that um, nobody who, who uses a sudibachi regularly has upper arm flab. I mean, it's the easiest way to tone your arm muscles um, is to regularly engage in, in a sudibachi. Um, I don't know of any, um, you know, the gym in Japan that offers um, sudibachi exercises, <laughs> but um, it certainly, I think, would work as well as, as you know, bar pressing and anything else. Um, it, it really is a workout in order to make it. But this this whole notion, again, of, of uh, expending energy, um, of focusing deeply uh, on the task at hand is um, part and parcel of what goes with um, making food. And one of the reasons why the Tenzo, the head of the kitchen, was such an important um, position uh, in, in Japan. It's still so in, in the Japanese temple community. Mm, yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, by the way, this, the, we discussed in the past about this uh, amazing equipment, Suribachi. It's basically, it's... Um, you know, the groovy grinding right. kind of ball. And it's such right. a magical, most efficiently designed and a beautiful equipment. So, right. yeah, I think every house in Japan, I'm not sure now, but they well, <laughs> used to have it. It's interesting. I just uh, published a newsletter and it's been archived on my website so anybody can go to download it from there. Um, and it was about Suribachi. And to me, what was interesting when I was researching it, um, was that the use of alternative means to grind um, is really very recent. It's post-war Japan. Um, and part of it is because I don't think people thought about using electrical energy or any other simpler method. It was assumed that to perform that task, you needed to be diligent. And I don't think anybody had really thought about trying to make another way to do things. Um, mm -hmm. I must say that that blenders and um, food processors are very popular in Japan, but they haven't replaced suribachi. Mm. Um, they sort of cohabit the kitchen. Um, but it, it, but gadgets that will perform the work that a suribachi does. It very, very recent in the last, you know, 30 years in Japan, um, mm. 30, 40 years. Um, and as I said, many, many homes still use both. <laughs> Certainly. Right. But interesting, right? Because the yeah. suribachi, sounds like a groovy, you know, um, right. ball, is right. really produces more smell and it kind of meditating. And I, I like the kind of texture, you know, you're grinding something it, and it gets smoother. <laughs> it's very right. meditating. It, it's it's very different, and you do get a sense of accomplishment. You can see and and feel um, the transformation, the change uh, in the ingredients. I also think it's very convenient because then that's the bowl that you put food in and you toss it. So it's sort of like a, a one pot meal. Mm, <laughs> um, right. It it it's a one bowl um, creation. You don't have to. Um, use a whole lot of equipment it's 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 just the one bowl and right. then you don't have to wash the whole you know the 
food processor and everything. And you get muscles too, so. Right. <laughs> and, and, and for people who are wondering how you get the food stuck, that's stuck in the grooves clean again, there are special brushes, but also save your old toothbrushes um, mm. and set them aside and put one in the kitchen. Right. So, listeners, if you're interested, it's called the Suribachi, <laughs> S-U-R-I-B-A-C-H-I, and right. it's so cool. <laughs> um, right. Anyway, so um, so what ingredients can you not use in shojin yori? Um, there are different styles, and some rules are slightly different um, in, in different establishments. But basically, anything that had a life... Um, Mm. is not to be taken. Uh, And it certainly refers to all um, creatures that swim uh, in the waters and and roam about the lands, and also um, eggs, because they were the potential of life, that if indeed you consume them, you are preventing life from happening. so it's plant-based, and um, protein sources are available through plants. It doesn't have to be through animals, um, and you can eat a very balanced diet um, without having to eat uh, meat or fish or eggs. Right. Uh, what about dairy? Um, dairy is not part of, um, the Japanese view of shojin. Um, again, it's, it's milk that would have been nourishment that could have been used for, to keep other lives, um, there. It's, um, the history of dairy in Japan is, um, sort of aborted with with Buddhism, if you will. Um, there are some indications that um, uh, milk uh, was consumed in the Jomon period. Um, but that was like ancient time, like centuries right, and centuries ago. Right, like, right. like, like 400 <laughs> BC to AD. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, a really long time ago. Um, but uh, certainly in terms of, of modern until really post-war years, um, dairy was not a regular part of um, uh, Japanese uh, food. Um, and as a matter of fact, it was one of the first things that really appealed to me about Japanese food because I never liked milk <laughs> mm. uh, growing up and was always um, I grew up in New York City um, and always expected to to drink my milk, and I never really liked it. And uh, landing in Japan, discovered that you could get calcium um, from sea vegetables. Um, uh, really, I love the idea that I didn't have to necessarily drink a glass of milk every day. Right, and you also <laughs> get iodine in addition to right. calcium. All, all sorts right. of things, wonderful. Right. I, lo- I love sea veggies, but... Anyway, mm. yeah. So, and the, the other thing, um, in ancient Shojin Yori, you can't eat anything that could stimulate your ah. kind of, yeah. Right. So you can go ahead. Yeah, please explain. So, um, the thought of um, stimulating um, 
so there are, are some schools of, of shojin where things like uh, niniku, a garlic, is not permitted, um, and other um, very spicy foods. Um, they're distractions um, from your concentration uh, was, I think, the so-called reasoning behind it. Um, Depending upon where and who's making the shojin dori today in Japan, you'll find that there's um, quite a, a depth of flavor, and also chili peppers are are used. Um, not in every um, place where you're going to be eating shojin, but... Um, uh, indeed, indeed, things that might stimulate you are often used today in in shojin. Right. Um, well, but basically they have a they have goshin or gokun. There are like five vegetables, right. including uh, scallions and garlic and uh, shallots and things like they say that can really right. energize people. And people think of something too bad, like sexually motivated or something like that. Right. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, in other words, you need the energy, then eat uh, scallions and garlic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so basically, um, well, I, like you said, there are different um, sects right. saying different things about shojin. But in general, uh, shojin dori is vegetarian and right. uh, sometimes vegan right. without eggs right. or dairy. Mm, but I... I don't want people to think of it as being bland or uninteresting. Um, I, one of the other things I think is so um, terrific about the Japanese sort of approach to food um, is looking for enormous variety within certain limits. And so even though certain things are not being consumed, um, shojin ryori is all about abundance. <laughs> it's all about this wonderful, marvelous um, megumi, the, the 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 wonderful abundance uh, that that is possible out there, and the variations that can be made on it. Um, so shojin ryori doesn't have to be um, tasteless, even though you can't usually use garlic <laughs> or scallions or, or, or chili peppers or, or things of that sort. There are all sorts of ways of coaxing out the innate um, natural deliciousness of your ingredients and having them interact with each other in ways that um, magnifies that wonderful flavor. Um, right. So... Like, you know, uh, Japan is a small country, but there's uh, plenty of, you know, the mountains. I think 70% right. of the land is uh, forest and uh, like coastlines, like ridiculously long and complex. Right. So right. there's a word, umi no sachi, yama no sachi. Maybe you can right. explain the term. Right. I, I often call it the surf and turf attitude, <laughs> um, meaning that things from the waterways, that's umi no sachi, and things from the land, yama no sachi. Yama is, is technically a mountain, but it's you're talking about terrestrial and marine. And um, the ability to combine the two together. And I also think it's interesting because it, it indicates uh, or acknowledges 
um, the awareness of ecology um, centuries and centuries ago and how important it was to source your food um, from different ecosystems, um, that not only was it good for your body, but it was good for the environment as well. Um, and the Japanese uh, encourage the use and the combination of uminosachi, the, the marine foodstuffs, and yamanosachi, the terrestrial foodstuffs, together. Um, and it's also interesting that um, even the same um, nutrient, such as calcium, um, is slightly different if you source it from um, land things, um, beans, soybeans in particular, uh, or sesame seeds, which are also rich in, in calcium, and um, something like hijiki or wakame, which are, are sea veggies, uh, and being able to combine them together in the same dish or at the same meal, um, it's almost exponential. It, 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 it increases and makes better each of them because they're combined together. Um, but this mm. this notion of um, surf and turf, the the mar marine and terrestrial, is ancient in Japan, and um, it also reflects the ecosystems. They're they're very different, and they produce very different uh, food resources for people. Mm. Right. So the shojin yori is Japanese style, you know, uh, vegetarian vegan cuisine, right. even if it came from China. So it's because of the Japanese landscape, climate, everything made it unique right. as shojin ryori, right? All right, so we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss the uh, principles of shojin ryori that makes it so delicious and satisfying. So please stay with us. Cabot Creamery has been making the world's finest dairy products for over 100 years. Cabot's award-winning cheddars and other dairy products stand apart because of their farmers' tireless dedication to quality and freshness, caring for their animals, and to healthy land and a sustainable future. More than a century after they started this journey, Cabot's farmer owners still know what matters most, family and community the simple truth that we're stronger together than we are apart. That delicious products are the reward of a job well done. That when you love what you do this much, that the best is always still to come. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio. Uh, not studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, but uh, our apartments. Uh, I don't know, Elizabeth, where you are, but <laughs> I'm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. This is my apartment studio. Um, so uh, today's uh, guest is Elizabeth Andel, a food writer and a cookbook author and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So um, let's see. So one of the most important principles of shoujin yori is gomi goshoku goho. Right. So... It's kind of mouthful, but what is that? <laughs> um, five colors, five flavors in five ways. Um, the colors are usually red, green, yellow, and black and white. And the reason for um, encouraging uh, 
the each meal to include all of those colors is nutritional balance. Um, the color or pigment of a food is pretty much a roadmap to the nutritional uh, value of that food. Um, not all red foods have exactly the same nutritional profile, um, but um, similarly, you're going to get your, your carotene, you're going to get your polyphenols, uh, all the, the things that red foods can provide you. Uh, yellow foods will provide a slightly different set of nutrients for you. Uh, green foods different, uh, white and black. And if you combine them all together in in the same meal, you don't have to really worry so much about um, balancing uh, your diet. Um, the go me and it's uh, that's not go me as in garbage. It's five <laughs> flavors. Um, uh, it's interesting, depending upon who you talk to, uh, they talk about different um, numbers and different words for it. But the the classic five, the big three were sweet, sweet sour, and salty. And the sort of mm, other two flavors that helped in, encourage the others were um, uh, spicy and bitter. And um, umami was not, and tummy was not part of that original set. Um, so sort of want to set that aside. But bitter and spicy are very often um, good accents to the meal. But having a balance between sweet and salty and sour is really important in controlling your appetite. Um, it's what provides satisfaction in a meal, not just the volume of food that you're eating. And um, I will often encourage people who say they have difficulty in feeling um, full uh, to be more mindful of a balance between sweet, sour, and salty. Uh, I think most people, um, I don't know if you're a sweet tooth person or a salty person. I'm a, more of a salt person. Um, it's hard for me to eat just one Osembe or, or one salted peanut. Um, but a lot of people have the experience of having, for example, eaten a whole bag of, of potato chips and then craving something that's sweet. Um, and uh, on the other hand, maybe they've just finished a whole box of cookies and now they really want something salty. <laughs> um, so the cravings between... Um, uh, salty and sweet, most people have uh, experience of it. And so this notion of balancing the five flavors by having all of them present um, and balanced out at the same meal is to avoid food cravings so that you eat an appropriate amount of food and you don't overeat. Um, uh, uh, spicy and, and bitter also help... Um, control that uh, appetite in a good way, uh, not to remove the desire to eat good food, but rather to feel comfortably full um, eating an appropriate amount of food. So the five flavors mm -hmm. uh, help you accomplish that. Um, the go-ho or the five ways are uh, about really two things, I think. One is um, multitasking in the kitchen <laughs> and being able to engage uh, 
in in preparing food in many ways um, simultaneously in a small space and with uh, limited equipment. Um, so the the big three ways are nama or raw, meaning not applying heat at all. Um, nidu, which is uh, it's a it's one word in Japanese, but there's so many words in English: simmer, boil, uh, blanch, stew. Anything that has a bubbling liquid would be nidu. Um, and then there's yaku, which is to sear with heat. And again. Um, broiling, grilling, um, sauteing, um, anything where you're going to get layers of flavor where the outside and the inside are, is typically different because um, the, the application of heat has been different. So those are the big three, not using heat at all, um, using some sort of a bubbling liquid uh, to transform your ingredient, and using um, some sort of searing heat um, on it. The other... Um, Two methods were steaming, and that's where you have moist heat surrounding something. It's probably the most efficient way to prepare food um, in terms of, of fuel efficiency. Um, and then frying, which um, really the Chinese did introduce to the Japanese. The Japanese had oil, but they used it as a fuel in the old days. They didn't think to actually eat it <laughs> or use mm. it in preparing food until. Um, the influence of, of, of Chinese Buddhism um, came into Japan. And uh, it really took hold with the Portuguese and uh, tempura, which is now a classic dish <laughs> and thought of as being, you know, really Japanese, was originally a foreign food. So the whole notion of, of preparing your food using oil was, was originally foreign, but it, it's now very well adapted into the Japanese um, kitchen. So those were the five methods. And the advantage of being able to uh, include all of them, it sounds like it's a lot of work, but really it, it encourages multitasking. Um, the, the advantage in terms of um, limited uh, food resources um, so in the old days, long before there was refrigeration or very swift transportation where you could easily get a food from one place to another quickly before it would spoil, you pretty much had what was within walking distance of where you were um, at any given time of year. Um, so it was very regional. It was very seasonal because that's all you had. And the ability to be able to transform a limited number of ingredients, make it interesting and varied, um, was by using different methods. Um, also, if anybody's ever grown zucchini, is usually the example I give, um, overabundance, or if you've gone crazy at the farmer's market in the fall and bought 10 bushels of apples, um, the ability to prepare the same ingredient and make it seem different um, is to be versatile in the goho, in these five methods. To, to take the same ingredient to prepare it differently um, was important. And again, it I think it's an indication of an early awareness of ecosystems and, and the need to... Um, be concerned about um, natural resources and not mm. to 
overuse them and to be able to encourage the natural um, cycle of bounty um, right. it was to use five methods um, mm. as well. Yeah. Right. So, gomi gosok goho. So, five tastes, uh, five methods, and five right. colors. So, I mean, five colors makes it more colorful and looks delicious. And, uh, I mean, the balance of the taste. I mean, all those right. things, gomi gosok, as far as you follow this uh, gomi gosok right. goho, then you are nourished in a very balanced way and uh, right. you're satisfied without any. Um, you know, frustrating, like right. you, you said, the bag of chips versus, <laughs> right? It's like,、uh, I mean, I was thinking the other day, I was drinking matcha,、right. and、right. Uh, because it's so bitter, there's、right. some sweetness in tea leaves, and that's、right. the balance. You, that's the complexity. Your brain just perceives something、right. and very satisfying. So, that kind of idea goes throughout this、uh, gomi gosok goho Japanese. It's not on, only shojin yori, but Japanese cuisine. Uh, I think very much so. It, it's part of the larger.、Um, it's been practiced so often, and、um, people、um, have felt the positive results of eating that way. I also think the, of them as guidelines. It's interesting again how different words are used to translate different concepts. And、um, they're guiding principles, but I think of them more as guidelines than principles.、Uh, the word principle to me sounds like somebody's going to slap your hand if you don't do it. <laughs> you、mm. sort of get punished if you don't do it. And a guideline sounds really helpful.、Um, it's something that can help you achieve something that you want to do. And I think of、um, the five flavors, five colors, five ways as very helpful guidelines. It's, it's almost,、um, again, a roadmap. And especially when you're busy and you you're, don't want to think an awful lot about pulling together a menu, think about color, think about flavor, and think about different ways of, of preparing the same ingredient.、Um, mm. And I think it'll be easier. Takes less time and energy and effort <laughs> to, to pull the meal together、um, if you use those guidelines. Right. And、uh, one,、um, another principle、right. that's related to、uh, shoujin yori, it's,、uh, there's a word, ichimotsu zenshoku. Right. Maybe you can talk about that.、Um, it's using food fully. And it's、um, interesting,、uh, the book that, that I focused on most with that was Kansha. And、um, that was、uh, published in, in the year 2010. And that was just 10 years ago. And as I was writing it, it was still, my editors were encouraging me not to use the word kitchen scrap. It sounded very unappetizing. And、uh, talk about all the parts of the ingredients that you would normally. Throw away that you wouldn't be eating、um, the peels, the seeds,、um, the roots,、uh, and the notion that you could use an ingredient completely and fully. And again,、um, it was interesting with the iron, the first Iron Chef、um, uh, television uh, shows, and you would have a particular challenge where you were given a single ingredient and you had to make. A multi course meal out of it. 
that's a notion that really existed for hundreds of years in Japan. Um, this notion of of making a meal uh, from very limited uh, foodstuffs, that be, by being able to use all parts of it, all edible parts of it, um, you were you were creating a meal that was completely satisfying. Um, so I I prefer the explanation that it's using food fully rather than no waste. Um, the, the word in Japanese for no waste is motayanai. And it, it's true that, again, that's used to talk about it, but it, it still sounds like somebody is sort of slapping your hand <laughs> rather right. than encouraging you to use the whole, the whole food. Um, right. Well, in Japanese mindset, though, um, it's, you know, what do you define as a waste is a subjective. And right. I mean, tuna total used to be thrown away because it's too right. fatty for Japanese people. And then now it's like gold. And right. also, like if you, um, you know, in, in Africa, lion right. kills an animal, it goes right. straight into the gut meat, organ meats, right. because it's the most nutritious. And that's why Japanese, I don't know that's why, but right. Japanese people have a lot of, you know, they they go to Japanese restaurants specialized in organ meats and right. hormone restaurants and they are delicious and it's you get powerful. Right. I mean next right. morning you wake up. So you get energized for sure. Right. So it's yeah, it's, that's the Yeah, it, yep. it's interesting that when I the first proposal that I wrote for Kancha, Kancha uh, was eventually published as a vegan and vegetarian book. And we decided that that was the way to go with it. Um, but the original proposal that I had made for it included a recipe for bone crackers, hone senbe, because um, there are certain fish that after you have filleted them, um, you can deep fry the, um, the skeleton and they're delicious. It's crunchy like osembe. Um, and the fact that uh, also there are some fish, the scales, if you deep fry them, they're better than um, croutons. <laughs> um, right. they, can be very, they can be very crunchy. So the notion that you would be, um, from the very start, you're approaching your ingredient, um, trying to utilize everything. And, and by doing that, you're respecting nature, you're respecting the people who have um, harvested what nature has, has given them, um, and you're also providing yourself and the others that you're feeding the optimal advantage of that food. Um, you know, nothing is being spared. Uh, right. Right. It's also right. so <laughs> mm, right, but that's the again waste is defined by you, and right. uh, waste may be gold. So um, we're kind of running out of time. So let's talk about um, the where you can eat um, shojin dori in Japan. Do you have any suggestion? Um, well, as I said, things may change once the pandemic has calmed down. Um, right now, uh, visitors to Japan are not welcomed, um, and uh, the impact on the hospitality industry has been enormous, especially because originally this was supposed to be the year of the Olympics, and um, lots of places were, were going to be 
opened and welcoming um, visitors. So I would suggest that when finally able to come visit here in Japan, that uh, some of the, the key websites, the JNTO, Japan National Tourist Organization, has a excellent website that's constantly updated as to what restaurants are available. But in general, um, most uh, there are certain temples that will offer uh, vegetarian cuisine. Most of them are in the Kansai area, uh, Kyoto area, but there are other parts of, of Japan that uh, will have um, options for eating at, at temples. And there are some private um, uh, restaurants that also offer um, uh, shojin jori. Um, but how many of those private um, institutions will be able to offer um, uh, shoji menus once uh, restaurants restaurant going becomes possible again? I'm I'm not really sure. Confident. Um, right. The the impact on the hospitality industry has been. Right. Well, actually, yeah, so I, I looked up and there are, mm -hmm. I mean, if you go to Kyoto, there are temples that you have to go, like Ryoanji. Right. Uh, Ryoanji. Ryoanji is uh, famous for its beautiful stone garden. Yes. And uh, it's like a must in Kyoto. And they offer shojin um, right. yori. And, and also, then there's a, yep. yeah. Manpukuji the, the, that offers fucharyori is fantastic. It's outside of Kyoto, it's in Uji. Um, but uh, a fabulous um, meal, uh, mampukuji, and it's fucharyori, it's this Chinese style. Um, and I was there fairly recently, like it seems like uh, decades ago, but it was really just last year. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and okay, in, so that's, right, so that's yeah. mampukuji. In, right. So that's in Kyoto too. Um, right. All right. So listeners, if you look up on Google, shojin yori, um, right. is yeah, the H O G I N J I N S H O J I N is shojin yori. Right. Then you know shojin cuisine. Then there are a bunch of places, and especially in Kyoto, that'll be very interesting. Hopefully, um, everybody can travel more freely sometime oh. in twenty twenty one. But so uh, speaking of. Uh, so facing the challenges of uh, the pandemic, you started right. an online group <laughs> called Tsudoi in Spring. Right. So are you still doing the program? Uh, absolutely. We're in Unit 15 and nearly okay. 600 members. Um, right. And um, if you go to my website, tasteofculture.com, and click on the Tsudoi uh, link, you'll be uh, taken to it. It's a Facebook group um, because they offered the platform to be able to do it, uh, you do have to apply. Um, those people who, uh, a full description of, of our goals and the rules, um, there's nothing very special about the rules. It's basically being um, nice <laughs> and um, being uh, curious and wanting to uh, learn more about what the Japanese kitchen can offer. Um, but it's, uh, I'm also trying to create a community uh, where people can connect with each other and uh, continue to be a very global uh, membership. Um, right. So your mission, this mission of Tsudoi Group is to right. 
to explore the practice key concepts、right. within Japanese culinary culture. So basically, you learn how to cook and you share recipes and you just actively、yes. participate in learning Japanese cuisine.、So、right, right. I, and, and it's a community of, of people to do that. I'm really not able to teach in person, although I am doing one in two day intensive、uh, later this month, and there is a chance if you're already resident in Japan, you're listening to this.、Um, on my website, it describes what it is, but it's only for people who are already here in Japan. Um, and very special rules、um, dictated by、um, the new hygiene rules um, uh, in the pandemic era.、Uh, we have to wear gloves, we have to wear masks,、um, and there are other things that we cannot do, certainly not sharing food、right. that makes sense. Okay.、Better. But、so, the details, all details are taste of culture. It's、right. taste of culture, one word, dot com. And then、right. you have all the links to、uh, that Stoi project. And other and, programs. And also Kitchen Culture,、um, my regular blog.、Um, you'll find the, the recipe of, uh, for uh, Goma Dofu if you want to try to be diligent and earnest. And if, I also offer some alternatives to true diligence if you want to.、Um, and a backlog of oh, dozens and dozens of、um, recipes and topics.、Uh, so anybody who's interested in exploring further should do that. Um, and look forward to, to seeing you at Sudoi. <laughs> All right. So, again,、uh, it's on www.tasteofculture.com,、right. and、uh, all the links are there. So, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for staying up、thank、so late、you. and、uh, giving us such a great、um, many, many ideas and your passion for Japanese food. Thank you. All right, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneats at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatayama.com. Japaneats is always available at heritageradionetwork.org and iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Engineers, I'm Anna Wang, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.